one of the things that I find really interesting about the English language is how confusing it is. And let me kind of elaborate. So we have the word hour, which is like time, like H-O-U-R, but we also have the other word hour, which is ownership. I feel so bad for anyone trying to understand English because that just doesn't make sense. And uh, another thing is, like you have words like mouse, house, moose, goose, all kind of similarly spelled, but their plurals are completely different. You go down to Neighborhood Street, you see one house, and you're like, okay, and then you see a whole street, you say, that's a lot of houses. You find one mouse, and it leads you to its colony. We don't call it mouses, we call them mice. That doesn't make any sense. We don't call a whole, like, road of houses heists. Don't even get me started on moose and goose. So, you see one moose, fine. You see a whole flock of them. You say moose. That doesn't make any sense. Why would we just say the same word twice? And then when we get to goose, fine. But then you see a whole flock of them. We don't say goose. We say geese. All right, that's it. Next time I see a whole bunch of moose, I'm going to say, hey, look at all those meese. (laughs) And, you know, when I decided to further my education and go to college, the weird words only got worse. Because if any of you remember the first time I preached, I talked about a class called Biblical Hermeneutics. And, you know, it took a long time to learn how to spell that word, and I probably can't spell it again. Um... But that class was super fun because we got to learn about a lot of the background of biblical texts. And it was, it was just super cool to learn all this different stuff. But then the course after that was called Preaching and Worship. So they give you one class that is insanely hard to pronounce. And then one that is super easy. I don't know why. But then after that class, they give you advanced homiletics. Another really long word. Which, you know, we're, we're youngsters. We're... We like to make everything easy for ourselves. So eventually Bibherm became, or Biblical Hermeneus became Bibherm. Preaching and worship stayed preaching and worship because it was so easy. And then advanced homiletics became advanced hom. We just like to make everything easy for ourselves, don't we? And so the sermon that I'm going to preach today was actually a sermon I wrote for that class, Advanced Homiletics. And in this, uh, for this assignment, we were given the Ten Commandments. And we had to write like a whole sermon series about them. And luckily I didn't have to do it all by myself. I only had to write one sermon. And I got the commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Thou shalt not give false testimony against your neighbor. And I like to think that it's fair to say that most of us like to avoid punishment. I mean, I think it's especially prominent when we're kids. But I think it can also be the same for when we're adults. And, you know, when we're kids, we got the paddle, we got the hand, we got, you know, all these different ways that we're punished by negative reinforcement. But as adults, I think, I think it's somewhat the same, but we're not getting half of those things hit at us or swatted at us. We're, we're getting this, these negative emotions and this negative feeling of dissonance between us and this person. And as a kid, I definitely like to avoid punishment. So I told a couple little lies to get out of trouble. And uh, there's this one instance I can recall. Um, not, it's not my proudest moment, I'll admit. But 
uh, I knew that my sister could not talk at the time. And so if we were just doing like the cut the cake belly ache, and if I poked her stomach too hard, she might have cried. Um, besides the point, knowing that she could not talk yet, my mom heard her crying. She would be like, Daylight Alden. And I would be like, Mom, she fell. And yeah, not my proudest moment. But eventually that would come to bite me in the butt because, you know, when people grow up, they learn to talk. And she would be able to rat me out. She'd be like, no, I didn't fall. We did cut the cake bellyache and he poked me with the force of a thousand men. And as I got older, I started doing things that were pretty stupid, I'll admit. And I would find myself lying again to stay out of trouble. And so this whole process of getting which commitment we're going to do is kind of a luck of the draw. Like the professor just had these different sheets of paper and was like, all right, pick a commandment. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I'm like, of course, I get, don't get false testimony against your neighbor because who doesn't know that lying is bad? I get to, I get to be like, great, I got to tell someone not to lie as if it wasn't clear enough already. But I mean, let's be honest, who hasn't lied? And if you say you haven't, well, you just did. So welcome to the club. And, you know, I could very easily just be like, hey guys, don't lie, let's all go get lunch right now. But I'm not going to do that, sorry. But I'm not going to because I think there's a lot that can actually be found, not just for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, but for those that maybe do struggle with lying or those that are our brothers and sisters in Christ struggling with this that don't know Jesus. And at this point of our series that we did for this class, we were talking about how God gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments to um, maintain harmony between us, his greatest creation, and God. And at that point in that series, we talked about how um, when you break these commandments, you're creating dissonance with God. And dissonance is something that God doesn't necessarily want with us, and that's not something that we want with him. And as I said earlier, God kind of gives this commandment to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, where he just says, you should not give false testimony against your neighbor. So let's just, let's just stop and ask ourselves real quick, why? Why does it matter? Why does it create dissonance? How does it create dissonance? You know, kind of what's the big deal? So if you would, just turn with me in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> and up until this point, I know it's the only first two books of the Bible, <clears throat> but God had this, like, unity. He had, he had this harmonious relationship with his creation. There was no separation. There was no anger. There was no, like, pain or anything. It was all perfect, and it was made good. But starting at verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit, uh, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, I like to say this is probably where the dissonance between us 
and God kind of comes from. The serpent took the words that God told her, twisted them up, scrambled them, and was like, did God really say that? And he tricks this woman into disobeying God. And when I originally wrote this sermon, I had this little saying that I developed, but someone else probably already has, and I just think I'm special. Um, but, you know, we have this whole, like, little nursery rhyme, like, King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah, you know, that kind of thing. I'm talking about Jesus, but I think when we talk about the devil, we can see him as the father of lies and the Lord of deception. And it's not often said that... Um, we often say that in that passage that just, the serpent is the devil, but I like to think personally that, you know, it says that, he, that God created the serpent and all of it was good, but I think that the devil used the serpent as a vessel to trick humanity into dissonance. And it's not necessarily anything new to say that the devil created this distance between us and God, but I will say this. I think that if we're calling ourselves Christians and we're saying that we know the stuff as good as we do, then why are people still getting hurt by lying? And if this is so such like a topic that can be so mundane and so repetitive, then why does it keep on happening? And I'm not talking about the little white lies that you might tell to someone when you accidentally spill the beans about a birthday party that's supposed to be a surprise. Or if it's like you tell your friends you caught a, caught a fish this big, but it's actually this big. Or the lie you might tell your friends when all you really want to do is sit at home and watch TV. I'm talking about more the ones that <clears throat> when you tell them and that person finds out, it breaks trust. It breaks the relationship and it takes time to regain all that stuff back. And we can definitely think that, you know, if they don't find out, it's fine. But even if they don't know, God does know. And, you know, after Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit, they tried hiding from God. And I think we do the same. They tried hiding from God, and they tried everything in their power to make sure that what they had done was either covered up or just unknown. And I think we do the same when we lie to someone. We think that they're none the wiser, even if we iron out our story. But in the end, God knows that we're lying and we're creating dissonance with him by doing so. And as I grew up and eventually made it to high school, um, I found two things out about lying. The first is that I'm really bad at it. And if you ask my parents, you know, they, they know, they know. Um, but that leads me to my second part. Someone's always going to find out if you lie. Maybe not right away, but as Christians, we get this kind of gut feeling, even if we've ironed out our story, we've covered all of our tracks, and we just get this feeling that kind of feels like someone's gripping down on your gut. And that feeling is guilt. And Quite frankly, it comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling us that what we've done is wrong. And eventually that guilt eats us up, and we have no choice but to kind of come clean, because that's the only thing that will make us feel better. You see, the devil created dissonance, but we have this 
And we have Ten Commandments that tell us how to keep this harmony with God. And without the power of God, we can't do it. And without these commandments, we can't do it. And that's not supposed to be bad news. Because if we were able to understand God in a way like I can understand my mom and dad, then what's so special about him? And I don't think God would have given us this task of keeping this insanely intimate, harmonious relationship with God if he didn't know that we could handle it. And see, God longs for us to have harmony with him. And it's definitely easy to see the Bible, the Ten Commandments, and all of it as a book on what not to do or things we can't do because this says so. But I think if we look at it in a way that is more the way that God would see it, it's, it's not a rule book. It's not a you can't do this, you can't do that. They're boundaries. Because even if we don't know the things that are going to come up in our lives, God does know. God wants to protect us from that pain and that that dissonance that breaking these commandments brings. He wants to protect us from that pain at all costs. And, you know, sometimes we will break that. We will cause that dissonance. And we learn about that pain down the road. When I first wrote this sermon, I kind of had this three-exit roundabout kind of illusion, like illustration. Because, I mean, everyone here should know what a roundabout is because Sterling only has one. Still don't know why, but oh well. Um, so you enter the roundabout with your lie and... The exits on the roundabout are the pain that the per- each like person feels. So that first exit is to the person that you've lied to. And that pain that they feel, the betrayal, the ultimate like feeling of why did you disrespect my honor so much that you just had to lie. And it does hurt them. And we'll get to how it affects you in a second. That second exit goes to God. And my Mima used to tell me all the time that when you lie, it hurts God. And it's not meant to make anyone feel bad, but it causes dissonance. And that dissonance is something that God doesn't want between us and him. And that third exit, or I guess better known as the way we came through, is pointed right back at us. Because when that person finds out that we've lied to them, they can't trust us and they lose that kind of sense of trust, it takes a while to get it back. And that is not a good feeling. Because when you have to regain that trust and you have to regain all this stuff that you've built over time because of the relationship that you've had with that person, it can kind of hurt when that process kind of dis- like doesn't include you because they have to find that way to trust you again. And sometimes in this moment when we um, have the tendency to lie, it can be easy to think, cool, they bought it. And that should not be our first, our first like, go-to. Now, I'm not saying you guys have to be perfect because nobody's perfect. And it's okay that we mess up because who hasn't, right? And God knows 
that we will make bad decisions and we have made bad decisions. And God knows that. And God knows I made a lot of really dumb choices, but we can stop that chain of bad choices right now by choosing to be honest and faithful. And it honestly saves a lot of long-term pain. I think that's why God gave us these commandments and these boundaries, because he knows that. He knows it. Like He knows so far ahead of our lives that he knows all the pain that we are going to face. And so with this series, we had to kind of leave the congregation with a bit of a challenge. And so this was the challenge I gave. And, and it's something small, but it has a lot of meaning to it. But as you go out this week, if you have this feeling of temptation to, it doesn't have to be just to lie, but to just do something that is not led by God, or just something very stupid, which if you're anything like me, that's like a 60-40 odds. Um, but I just, I would just invite you to pray that when that temptation comes, because temptation isn't the sin, it's the action that's the sin, that you just pray that, you know, God is... Has, he, has his hand on you and that he makes that temptation go away. And, you know, sure, it can kind of seem like, oh, I'm just supposed to say a couple magic words and it'll be good. Well, maybe, sometimes. Because even if it may not work out the way that we want it to, and sometimes it may not be exactly what we're wanting out of that decision, you should never underestimate the power of prayer. Because power of prayer does so much for us that we can't even fathom, we can't even see, we can't even understand sometimes. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it. I recently bought a book that one of my old camp counselors wrote. And he, he's, he thinks it's really interesting that we try not to understand God. Because like I said, if we try to understand God the way that we understand a person, then what makes him so special? And I think... Having that mystery of not being able to completely understand God makes it really, really cool. And, you know, the power of prayer does so much for us, and God has done so much for us. And God has done his part in giving us literally everything that we'll ever need to live our lives. So he's done his part. There's so much for us to do ours. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach in front of my church congregation, my church family. I mean, they've watched me grow up into this man that I am now. And I just pray that you be with them throughout this week, that whatever, whatever comes their way, that they would be reminded of you and be reminded of the things that you've done for them and these, these commandments that they've got in front of them that keep them out of this distance. They keep them out of this harm's way. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with each and every one of these people and bring them back next Sunday as they learn about where hope is and where it comes from. And it's your name that I pray.